Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting a beautiful week here at the end of March, early April. It's uh, it's a new dawn. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osaski, coming to you from a brand new studio. And uh, on the line with me on the uh, other side of the world, David Clement in Ontario. David, how goes it? It's going well. It's going well. Spring is uh, spring is in the air, so hopefully we get some nicer weather coming out, and then uh, get the golf clubs out. Maybe get the road bike out, and uh, yeah, just uh, looking forward. I feel old now. I'm like, oh, nice weather. Gonna mow the lawn. <laughs> mow the lawn. Oh boy, yeah, feeling pretty old. I also got the golf bag out. Um, mm. To move it, that was. Uh, <laughs> yes, dust them off. <laughs> yeah, I did uh, dust them off a little bit. It's uh, It's been a frantic 72 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that three days? I never know offhand. Yes. What is that? Three days? Okay. <laughs> it always makes people sound important when they say that. We have 72 hours to complete this. So uh, it's been a crazy 72 hours. Um, we don't have the video up for this part of the uh, segment that we publish online on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, uh, but I'm uh, in a new locale, a new studio. I'm still in the yep. same district uh, here in uh, in Vienna, but you know I'm three flights up, and uh, let me tell you, I felt those three flights, um, you know, every 20 minutes for the past 72 hours. <laughs> Do you have a fitness tracker? Um, like, I, uh, uh, like in your watch or anything? You know what I do have is a, uh, it's a Withings, uh, I believe it's a French company that was bought by Nokia, and they've got this smartwatch um, that's amazing. I actually, I think I broke the glass, but what I also have is okay. the uh, Atlas, uh, Atlas, the uh, the iPhone, the Apple iPhone. Um, in the Heart app, you can track your steps and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have my Apple Watch, and I remember, uh, I, uh when when I had to clear out the crawl space because it flooded, at the end of it all, it was like 800 active calories, which is, for me, like the equivalent of running like seven kilometers, <laughs> just moving boxes. So it's a good workout. Absolutely. And uh, moving up three flights of stairs multiple times a day. Uh, for those 72 hours, uh, we'll do a big deal for you. Uh, but it's not all about that. Um, I hope to have the studio in working order uh, pretty soon. We'll um, try to make it all nice, and uh, perhaps we can do video a lot more, David. I think that, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah just going to And uh, we're excited about uh, today's show. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I've learned a lot about internet in the last couple of days, particularly how it works, and... You know, what you can get into your apartment building, which may or may not be the best. Uh, I went from having incredibly fast, yeah. good internet to um, maybe now having to switch up to a 5G situation where I'm using only kind of like mobile networks, which uh, when I'm looking around my office and all the okay. computers and servers and Raspberry Pis, um, I don't know if it's going to power it, but uh, we'll see. I'm on a temporary one right now. Because uh, they haven't shipped it to me yet, so I'm just on on temporary. I'm giving it my best. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean it's uh, the I it just seems to be a chronic problem. That's uh, maybe with the exception of the U.S. 
where your home internet options are just so limited. Uh, I think I, I technically have two options, two company options where I live, Kojiko and Bell. Um, that's pretty much it, or a company that they own. Um, and now you have Rogers and Shaw merging, which has caused a lot of political discussion um, here in Canada because then it's further consolidation. And it's one of those weird things where I generally don't like um, the government telling private businesses that they can't be sold. Um, but at the same time, I don't, it's like, well, maybe we couple this with, with peeling back the regulations that protect them from international competition and say, okay, yeah, you know what, there can be consolidation, but we're going to let Verizon or whomever else wants in, so long as it's not a national security threat like Huawei or something, uh, let them in and, um, and, and kind of even out the market in that way. Um, but unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be much political appetite for that. Yeah, it's an oligopoly everywhere you go. I think everybody's kind of facing that. Uh, at least in my situation, it's more that, you know, the apartment, this is a problem for city people. When you're in an apartment or condo or whatever, you're just kind of a slave to whatever infrastructure already exists in the building. So if I'm, you know, looking for gigabit internet, <laughs> Ain't going to happen in the types of houses I'm looking at. So either I have to bribe everybody who lives here and, uh, you know, call in the fiber guys, or I thought about it and our colleague Fred mentioned this to me. I might just get a Starlink. Yeah. Yeah. They just announced um, in Canada that they're like 60% off or 50% off for the hardware. Uh, I think they brought Ooh, the price in, in down. In Canadian dollaroos? I might have to buy it there. Ship it to me. Yeah, it's like I, I want to say it was like four ninety nine um, for the hardware, and then whatever the subscription is a month. But I got some weird responses on Twitter when I posted about that. Basically, people saying, "Oh, this is predatory pricing." Um, what? Oh, what is with Canada that people are so flubbed when? A company offers low prices for something. Uh, yeah, I'm looking like, at my price. I can get it for 300 euros hardware, but you can also rent okay. the hardware. And then it's 85 euros a month. Okay. And then the the service is how many euros a month? Well, that the monthly service is 85 euros a month. That's it. Oh, with the, that's not bad. I mean, that's, that's not bad at all. That's a Canadian uh, price. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and your your internet is maybe a little more dynamic that way. But yeah, I just found the responses on Twitter to be so, like, oh, it's predatory pricing, as if any sale is predatory price. Like, what? Do they do they it's hop like, into the, the big stores? You know, do they go to President's Choice and it's like, this is all predatory. This corn yeah. is 80% off. Yeah, Walmart selling socks. Five bucks for a dozen is like what? No, this is a good deal. Who's the predator? Money. Who's the prey? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, are we really griping because at that price, maybe Rogers would have a hard time competing? I don't. I I, God, I hope not. How progressive (laughs) to bemoan on behalf of a of a huge company. 
And it's so, it's so funny because, uh, yeah, there's the oligopoly problem in Canada has, is persistent. And, you know, there's at least some talk of what could happen. And there's a censorship bill that we can talk about a little bit later, David. Yeah, but for oh for where I am, usually the cell phone prices, because the mobile innovation is really good. It's a test market. Yes. It's a fairly small place. You're able to get good data you know, SIM cards for, you know, seven to 15 euros. So like what, 10 bucks? Yeah. Um, and that works really well. Fraction. However, it seems that with, you know, fixed internet, cable internet, fiber, all that kind of stuff, it's really only two companies and then a bunch of sub companies, similar to how it is in, in Canada to where you have like a front face, innovative new thing, but it's just like they use all Bell Canada, you know, infrastructure yeah. or something. So we need more innovation there, and we have to. Uh, what do we got to do? We got to peel back some of the regulations. I mean, I know more in the U.S., but there, you know, a lot of the states have all these restrictive rules on what you're allowed to do with infrastructure of uh, particularly internet. And then you have the Biden mm-hmm. administration that put out a hundred billion dollars to say, okay, we do broadband everywhere. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, who's deciding that? Because if it's, you know, if it, you put it up to some government dude, he's just going to put it all into his neighborhood. So his cul-de-sac is going to be, you know, sitting pretty on the internet, streaming everything, while the rest of you chumps ain't going to get much. Well, yeah, and and the thing is, is that some it it it, it feels a little outdated. Um, it feels like it's on the cusp of being outdated. Not that I'm all in on Starlink. I don't have it. I'm likely not getting it. Um, we don't have a promo code yet for Consumer Choice no. Radio, but coming up. If you're listening, Elon, throw us that promo code. Um, but it just feels outdated where they're going to spend uh, however hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on this rollout um, for technology that, I mean, what is what is te- the telecom industry going to look like in 30 years? What did it look like 30 years ago and how different is it? Um, now than it was then. I mean, it's so incredible. The government has announced deep. newly subsidized horse trails for all of you horse well, riders yeah, but, throughout the city. Yeah, that's the perfect. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I mean, I know you're you're kind of being cheeky, but it's the perfect example where it's like they go all in on the technology of the day, and it's like, okay, well, what's this going to look like in thirty years? It could all be redundant. I mean, it's like them going all in on the fax machine. And uh, ironically, the only institutions who still use fax, ma- fax machines today are government <laughs> agencies. Um, it's a strange world. So, yeah, you talked about that is, last week. I, I have to give yeah, a promo to, with uh, Nathaniel with, Erskine Smith. And uh, it was a great interview, mm-hmm. by the way, David. I didn't give you any feedback, but you went right into the issues. There was no, you know, what I love about him and I think I wrote this on Twitter, he's just a matter-of-fact guy. There's no yep. tittle-toddling political talk. He's just like, hey, look, it's a, it's a pretty clear issue. Here's what we think, or I don't know. I don't know what we should do there. I think he was very he's very intellectually honest, which I love. Yeah, and here, so like my takeaway from, from him is intellectually honest, can't, is willing to face the heat on Twitter. Um, so like... When we when I had posted about the interview, some people were like, oh, why did you vote for the Emergencies Act when you also signed a letter saying you didn't think the threshold was being met? 
right? You think that's like a real gotcha moment. And he's like, well, if you read my past statements, I made a commitment that I was going to keep confidence in the house, which is basically not, basically means not break confidence to force an election right after we've just had an election. And so I voted in favor to keep my word on that. Um, but that doesn't change how I felt. And you can disagree with whether or not he should have kept confidence, but he's not one of these guys who's doing the mental gymnastics to bounce around all the time that you see either in Ottawa or in Queens Park. He He's pretty, he's a straight shooter, um, which is appreciated. Like, even when you disagree, you're like, wow, you know what? I think he's coming from a, He's coming from a good place or at least a consistent place. And we don't see enough of that. I mean, you and I have talked to enough politicians in our day. You don't see enough of that um, across the board on either side of the aisle. Because you'd be in jail. No, you're right. And uh, we don't have a good caliber of politicians, uh, you know, in the in the sort of scene right now. Uh, But I would say that, you know, listening to him, if I was a voter again, you didn't get into all the issues, got into many of the yeah. issues that are important, but you know, what would be his kind of thoughts on inflation and what can be done or not done. And of course, he'll, he's be looking at provincial office, but mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean when it comes to policing or um, taxes overall, or, you know, there's all kinds of different questions that that'll be asked, but I have to say as a, an opponent, um, I would kind of be shaken in my boots. Again, I don't think they've caught wind of him just yet uh, you can probably inform me otherwise but he's well, an no. incredibly formidable opponent uh, particularly for clear-minded people we got about a minute before we have to go to break david yeah so the conservatives provincially aren't really focused on anyone in the liberal leadership race because the liberals are barely an official party um, because they were just so ravaged after the uh, the last elections um so their focus is on the NDP, who is the official opposition. That will change, um, in my opinion, because I think the liberals will probably return to being the official opposition uh, at some point. So uh, I'm Ooh. sure that they're going to have to evaluate that. <laughs> Old statement. Well, we'll see. And of course, it doesn't help having your name, uh, the party tied to uh, the current government of Justin Trudeau. But <laughs> uh, there you go. There's a lot more of that. Uh, we've got a great interview coming up. Joseph McKenney of the Catawba Digital Economic Zone. Uh, you want to hear about, uh, you know, a digital residency program of the future. Uh, we got that coming up next on Consumer Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, We're speaking here with Joseph McKinney. He's the CEO of the Catawba Digital Economic Zone. Got a very interesting project on our hands and all the time in the world to ask Joseph all about it. Joseph, how are you today? Doing great. It's a pleasure to be on. So let's, um, we got some Discord notifications coming in. Uh, Let's hear a little bit about the project. So this is um, a fairly interesting and new idea. Uh, You've got some connections to... Uh, what we would call Native American territory. You've got sort of uh, Web3 crypto Bitcoin stuff going on. Give us the lay of the land, the uh, TLDR on uh, what you're doing day to day. For sure. So the Catawba Digital Economic Zone is a special jurisdiction enabled by the Catawba Indian Nation. They are a federally recognized tribe located here in the Carolinas. And as a federally recognized tribe, they have at least the same status as the U.S. states in regards to commercial law and business regulations, and oftentimes more. 
Um, in February of last year, they passed a law with their legislature creating its own commercial code based on template laws that are used across U.S. states, sans uh, special interest laden provisions that they normally have. Um, and uh, uh, it also has a regulatory body that's capable of, uh, of issuing regulations at the same level as a U.S. state, as well as registering companies like a secretary of state. Um, and since the law passed last year, we passed numerous regulations concerning digital assets, DAOs, and uh, now we're in the pipeline considering banking and stablecoins. Okay, that's all very exciting. So the thing that I, I tried to sign up, I went through the whole process. Um, I have not passed all of KYC just yet, uh, but uh, <laughs> I have gone through the process and looked at the platform and everything. Who is this tailored to? If I'm someone who's interested in this, um, you know, who, who am I as your ideal let's not say customer, but perhaps uh, resident or e-citizen or whatever you might call it. So there, like with every good company, you have an initial target market, but our overall goal is to, as we say, disrupt Delaware. So basically any company that can be uh, uh, registered and domiciled remotely, that is our target market. Um, but Facebook didn't become Facebook by going out to the general market. It went to elite universities, then it went to public universities then to the general public. Likewise, we're going to stick with a, a certain set of industries that have the most advantage that we can provide initially, that we, that we can have a 10x versus, a, you know, simply just a, a slight advantage. And the first industry that we looked at is uh, Web3. And the reason for that is that there's a significant lack of regulatory clarity or even commercial law clarity in regards to digital assets. Um, it's also very low hanging fruit for a lot of state level uh, jurisdictions. So that's why we're focusing initially on them and why our initial set of regulations focus on Web3. And so just, just so you can walk listeners through, what is the, what is the incentive or the, the benefits um, for this tribe in regards to creating these legal structures and hosting maybe some of these remote businesses? Yes. So like most uh, successful special economic zone projects around the world, it is a for-profit um, public-private partnership with the tribe being the 51% partners, as well as having majority board control, 100% of the, the regulatory body control accountable to the elected leadership, as well as their legislature. Um, so they have um, incentives in forms of, of revenue, as well as economic development and sovereignty. Because um, like a lot of tribes in the United States, they didn't have commercial codes prior to this project. And the reason for that is not because the tribes don't have the ability to be you know, sovereign and to regulate companies that are within their jurisdiction, but simply because a lot of tribes for historical reasons that we're all very familiar with, haven't had the financial resources in order to invest in full scale governance. So they've done these one off versions of jurisdictional arbitrage where they themselves are the company and, you know, focusing on industries that we're all very familiar with, such as gaming or payday lending, cannabis and what have you. But this they are serving as a government to other businesses to connect business and then to generate fees from that uh, economic activity. So there's probably a couple of other uh, federal tribes who could have partnered with you. Uh, what's, what, what made my, my brethren uh, in the Catawba Valley, and I guess the, the Catawba area, this, I grew up around the Carolinas. So uh, why did they uh, become an ideal partner for this project and everything related to sort of this technological vision uh, that you're putting together? Well, like everything in this project, this, this, this initiative was uh, Catawba-led since the beginning. And one of the provisions in the Catawba, uh, well, they call it a settlement act, but it's basically a modern day treaty 
with the federal government when they restored their sovereignty after fighting for it since the 40s in 1993. Um, uh, one of the provisions was to have an enterprise zone and foreign trade zone. So the idea of zones was already acutely on their mind for quite some time. And also based on the, the treaty that they have with South Carolina, they were restricted from uh, having a casino in the South Carolina. So they had to be you know, pretty scrappy in terms of how they generate economic development. Um, so they started looking at different avenues and special economic zone was one of them. Okay, that's interesting. And I guess with, um, I, I guess as a practical question, let's say I am to sign up through the portal, I'm to go to the website and um, I would recommend that a lot of our listeners go to it, uh, Digital.zone. you guys can find that there. Um, you have a sort of button here, create a company. You know, what's my kind of step-by-step -step process and what can I do with that company? Yeah, absolutely. So you go through that, uh, you first create a username, login, what have you, that you put your, your address and then you're gonna be asked to do a KYC check using your phone uh, through the platform. After that, you're, uh, you'll be approved uh, for KYC and then you'll be able to create a company, put in the address, mailing address, as, uh, as well as uh, the, the name of the company. And after that, you have a company with its own certificate of organization and certificate of good standing, et cetera that you can use to you know, conduct any form of business that you would be able to with a Delaware company, except for you have the legal certainty about how your digital assets and, and digital industries will be treated under existing law. Um, also, you have the ability to set up a DAO LLC at this point um, that allows you to conduct a DAO while having limited liability protections and the ability to access, you know, regulate financial services such as banking and what have you versus like a lot of DAOs right now are sort of operating as general partners. Okay, interesting. And um, if, if you could explain for the audience, because they're not, uh, not everybody's up on the DAOs, as it were, uh, but, you know, there's a, I believe, a similar provision in Wyoming. Um, if, you know, what is a kind of DAO and what advantage does, does that have over a traditional LLC? Well, so the definition of DAO flux has fluctuated over time, but it, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And generally speaking, it's a form of entity that leverages distributed ledger technology like the blockchain um, in order to do certain public utility good, uh, goods or, you know, to do nonprofit goals or investing. And it has more flexible governance model than standard corporations. And the goal is to decentralize or disintermediate or even to have more horizontal uh, forms of organization in some cases. But the point being, uh, the thing that holds them all together is that they have alternative governance structures besides standard corporations, and they operate online using distributed ledger technology. Um, and that can be helpful for a lot of purposes. Sometimes it can be for not for so helpful purposes. Some interesting forms of a DAO are uh, you can form an investment DAO where you have uh, people within your network that are investing in certain sectors. Uh, you can have them do public services, what have you. Like, for instance, there are DAOs that, uh, you know, do fact checking for certain things. Um, there's also just kind of wacky DAOs um, that are like essentially nonprofits um, um, that do like public goods things such as, you know, purchasing land for environmental conservation. And there was even uh, a case where they tried to buy the, a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Wasn't it the Constitution? Constitution is? Oh, wait, 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 Constitution DAO. Okay, it's exactly. one, of, one, I, I one just, of those founding documents, eh? 
Yeah. To be honest, I was thinking of that Nicolas Cage meme, like, we're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. We're going to buy the Declaration of Independence. Basically. As Dow. Basically. Yeah. And so just, just so you can walk listeners through, what is the, what is the incentive or the, the benefits um, for this tribe in regards to creating these legal structures and hosting maybe some of these remote businesses? Well, I mean, I'm going to go back to our, our, not our mission statement, but sort of our tagline, Disrupt Delaware. We want to be the location for company incorporation in the United States. And we see that we have an advantage there because we have all the advantages normally associated with a state level jurisdiction, often higher, but also just on a structural level, the way that we, it's a for-profit special economic zone, as well as governed by a nimble five-person commission that meets on a, on a regular basis, unlike Wyoming, which meets literally every two years to pass new laws, uh, we can always be ahead of the game and we can always provide a better service and grow over time. Interesting. Okay. And um, you know, what has been the interaction from any of the, uh, forgive the term, but fiat institutions? Um, let's say you've had interactions with, uh, perhaps you've had interaction with banks or authorities in South Carolina or North Carolina. Uh, what, have, what has been the acceptance of this project? How has that been so far? You know, it's actually been very positive. Um, you even met with uh, some three-letter agencies. And initially we thought that we were going to get some pushback, but um, it, it it just keeps going back to our thesis. The most bipartisanly supported issue is tribes. And we all know, and they know, what the legal authority of tribes are, which is, as I'll say again and again, same level as U.S. states and oftentimes more. Um, but also there's a lot of policy uh, uh, objectives to ensure that tribal governments have economic development and that they have their own sovereign systems for, for economic empowerment. Um, and we've seen that as well on, on the state level from the brief interactions that we've had. And we do have, you know, banking partners that are willing to service CDES companies. So, uh, you know, it's always an education process, but we haven't wow, had conflict. Okay. That, that's actually great to know because uh, I know, you know, there have been another examples of other sort of startup societies or uh, economic zones in other areas. And there's always been conflict. Um, but as I mentioned to David before the, uh, our interview, you know, it's sort of a it's a kind of a backdoor loophole in that you have this these sovereign territories that are recognized in the Constitution and many other documents and, and do have sovereignty over these issues and it's kind of up to them what they would like to do and what they would like to host and it seems in um, hosting you or i don't know the exact terminology um, they're proving themselves much more open than many other states especially the blue states california new york uh, i think that's that's all the more reason to be optimistic absolutely and i i understand what you're saying but i wouldn't call it a loophole it's baked into the very core of the american experiment Tribes are a pre-constitutional sovereign that's baked right into the interstate commerce clause. That's baked right into the Constitution. So it's always been the case. The problem is they just haven't had the resources to actually fully expand into that sovereign role. And I think one of the key differentiating factors between other startup society projects and, let's say, this project is that many startup society projects are outsider groups that are coming in. Um, to take a piece of sovereignty and, and, and try to use it to their objectives. This is a Catawba project. They have, they have absolute control, financial interest. This is theirs. They voted it directly, not some weird presidential decree or what have you. 
Um, this is their project. And as a consequence of that, um, it, they, they, it's definitely shown in, you know, what they've been able to okay. accomplish. Uh, all right. Uh, I am totally corrected on that. And uh, <laughs> I stand corrected. I, I didn't know the exact uh, terminology for this, but I think it's absolutely true. Uh, one thing for Canadian listeners to know is, you know, that we've always had um, these sort of in Canada, the Indian Act, or you got all these other different governmental decrees, legislation that does grant a lot of these powers, but it is true. You have not seen this kind of economic opportunity that's presented itself. And it's as if the sort of uh, crypto web three world is kind of opening up to that. Um, what are some of the other connections yeah. to, um, I'll, I'll, David, I'll let you go. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I, the, the opportunities here, obviously, um, the historical conversation of how, indigenous people have um, been treated or struggled and, and this being kind of an empowerment uh, moment there where they really get to flex their rights or flex their sovereignty. There's an example in Canada where um, uh, an indigenous group decided they, they wanted to build a 400 unit uh, apartment building and all of the NIMBY said no. And the indigenous group was like, well, haha, this is, we get to make this call. Um, because that that is our right. Um, so it's, it feels like there could be a lot of opportunity um, in this space, obviously not necessarily building homes, um, but using it as a real opportunity to disrupt, to foster innovation, to foster economic growth, to kind of put people back in charge. Um, is that an accurate assessment, or am I maybe am I maybe looking at this through rose-colored glasses? No, I mean I have the same assessment as you, and maybe that means I have rose-colored glasses. But I think it it, it actually uh, it's actually the facts. Um, yeah, the goal is to to foster responsible innovation while tying it to existing law and standard practices and consumer protection, what have you. While at the same time, not adding additional barriers that are unnecessary to to, to limit innovation. And yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of see this, and I don't know another word to describe this, but you know, a form of justice or, or karma um, of having Native American tribes reasserting their sovereignty after hundreds of years, and and beautifully enough to do so through the governance of technology and allowing the fostering of markets. I think that's that's beautiful, and it's a way of, of of tribes to reassert themselves in their in their. And how place. many people have um, sort of signed up or already started companies? I don't know if that's public information, but have you seen a growing number of interest from people? Um, and I notice on the website, it's not just uh, Americans. There are many other people who can sign up for this. Yeah, yeah. So we we have a, about a 90 different countries worldwide that you can register from. And we've had dozens of people um, register from the companies just the United States. But if you are from outside the United States, we're now opening our doors um, to, to all y'all as well. Look at that. Well, it looks like plenty of uh, the audience here of Consumer Choice Radio, also in uh, the Saga 960 Toronto area, will be open to that. Uh, well, Joseph, this has been great, very informative. Uh, definitely learned a lot. We're going to point a lot of our listeners to that and uh, podcast version and stuff. We'll also link to the website. But yeah, tell us uh, how people can reach out to you if they are interested in learning more and, and what else. Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, go to katabadigital.zone. If you want to check out our regulatory and legal framework, check out zoneauthority.io and uh, feel free to reach out to any of us on the contact page as well as uh, see our social medias on that as well.
back to Consumer Choice Radio. Previous interview heard was with Joseph McKinney, the CEO of the Catawba Digital Economic Zone. Um, kind of an interesting idea. One thing that I love about it, that for you Politico nerds out there, uh, has a lot to do with you know the original U.S. Constitution and the placement of Native American tribes. And mm-hmm. because of the different protections, it allows these nations, in quotes, to kind of have their own laws. And we know it very well from the consumer choice perspective. And I heard some great stories uh, over the weekend about this, David. Uh, the amount of things that you're allowed to sell, you know, on these uh, native reserves or reservations, depending on what side of the border you're on, um, essentially the federal government is not really allowed to enforce the law. I mean, of course, if there are murders or something like this, right? But when yeah. it comes to like commercial law and people selling things, so where do you think people are getting their flavored vapes? and vape pods in places like New York and Vermont, yeah. well, they're, they're hitting up and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a native American for the week. So yeah. it's really interesting. We see, see. The, we, we see the same in response to tobacco taxes in Ontario. Uh, it's actually the whole system is, is so the taxes will go up to discourage smoking. Understandably, they want to discourage smoking. Um, and then, sales will dip and the government at one point, this was years ago, kind of patted themselves on the back saying, see, it worked. Sales dipped. Um, but actual tobacco use didn't. It's just they got, people got it from elsewhere. And I mean, I, this is going back 10, 10 plus years. I was working, um, working a, a job that was uh, not the most glamorous at the time. Uh, in between high school and university doing business to business cold calls. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I can only imagine what you'd say when you call someone up. Rough. A tough job. I was pretty good at it. Invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Um, Should have done. Pretty tough job. But uh, there were some smokers um, who were my coworkers. And once a week, someone would have the duty of driving to um, – to one of these locations and picking up a giant bag of cigarettes that were like a fraction of the price. And so it wasn't really that it was, it was just discouraging people from buying uh, cigarettes at their local corner store or what have you. Um, But it is interesting. I mean, that's probably one of the, the uglier sides of this conversation about autonomy for indigenous people. But um, we're seeing some of the conversation pick up federally where the, the questions are, well, why, like, should they, should indigenous communities have some sort of autonomy over um, natural resources? Um, and because there are a lot of communities who want to flex their weight and want to get into the kind of responsible resource extraction game because they're standing on liquid gold Um and sometimes they can't because the federal government waffles on this. And then there's questions of jurisdiction. This is actually an area where I think Pierre Polio has um, probably framed the issue in the right way, saying, I think the answer to issues in terms of indigenous living standards and the poverty and kind of generational poverty that we see is more autonomy 
and letting them make those decisions for themselves is a really solid one rather than what we have now, which is kind of everything by permission via Ottawa, um, which is really ugly and just kind of replicates all of the old historical travesties that um, have plagued the relationship between Indigenous people and Ottawa forever. Um, and so it's nice to see a bit of a break from that, what that looks like in practice, I don't know. Um, but it is nice to finally have someone say, uh, maybe the answer is actually letting them control more of their own destiny here, um, rather than thinking that Ottawa can figure it out on their behalf. I mean, it would be an absolute boost to the economies. I, I do have to say the angle that Oliev has taken specifically on indigenous issues is so, like you say, refreshing. And it just like makes me feel good as a native Canadian. Because every time that you would hear about this, it's like, oh, you know, you got and that terrible relationship with the natives. I mean, it was a bit different with the French. You know, we didn't slaughter them as much as you guys did. <laughs> but yeah. um, just to see like a different angle and it's not about poverty or addiction or all this like opportunity, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to build super dense housing here and there's nothing you can do about it. Or yeah, that, we're gonna that's extract. my favorite story. I love the one that in Vancouver. One. Yeah. yeah, where where the NIMBYs were like, no, you can't build this 300 unit apartment building. And the indigenous community was like, ha ha, stop us. Fork off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing um, I remember in university, there was like the Supreme Court case. Maybe you remember this, David, about a, a particular tribe that essentially owned all of BC. And it, oh, yeah. and it was basically like, so we're kind of going to rule that you do, but like, just leave the land for everybody because otherwise they would just, <laughs> they could kick out all the Anglos and uh, women crazy. <laughs> but you mentioned the, the, you know, some of the harm reduction stuff before. I caught a great story that I thought I wanted to talk about with you. Um, mm -hmm. An outrage story. Uh, headline. How English football got hooked on snooze. Players oh, don't yeah. understand the threat of it. So this runs in The Athletic, which I'm going to say used to be a great sports site until it was bought by New York Times. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's kind of turned into ever... Deadspin, which is a, like a the... little bit. Yeah. Um, and I followed them yeah, a I'm... lot for NASCAR stuff back in the day, and they, they basically like cranked down. They, they bought out like two or three really good NASCAR reporters, and then it just went bunk. But this story is incredible because then the people they quote are just wackos and they know nothing about snooze. They know nothing about harm reduction. And like you've had uh, some of the scientists on Twitter been like, uh, excuse me, snooze expert here. Um, it is not more dangerous than smoking. Um, and all these claims you make in this are absolutely false. Please do your yeah. research. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the thing is uh, this is the this is the public health um discussion that you you see this mission creep right obviously there's not a there are not a lot of um smokers um who are in the english premier league um by virtue of sports it's not it's not an easy habit to have while being a high endurance athlete unless you're um, uh what's his name john daly golfer Oh, yeah, but John John Daly is not a high endurance athlete. The guy is a professional professional drinker who happens to play golf <laughs> <laughs> and play golf very well. I should note that. Um, but at the end of the day, 
like there's just this mass confusion. Um, there's a substantial difference between combustible smoking, non-combustible tobacco products. So let's call that chewing tobacco. Baseball had its own kind of reckoning with chewing tobacco a long time ago, um, which has its own risks. Then you keep moving down the the harm spectrum, and you get snooze, which is e- which is less than um, the alternatives of chewing tobacco, and then you get even further down to non-tobacco nicotine products, which don't uh, carry any or or nearly the same risks um, as anything up that spectrum, and it's almost like some of these people have just never, they've never read the arguments on the other side. Um, they're just not, not even well that enough. David, I don't even know if they've seen these products or like known anybody who's used them. Yeah. yeah probably not. I mean, probably I think that's not. the craziest part. And um, I did a, a testimony recently in Vermont. Uh, this is about a flavor ban on, um, I think this one was just on vaping. I don't know. It's too many at this point. Uh, but, you know, they were just asking me like rudimentary questions. And it's like, have you guys ever seen a vape before? <laughs> like, have you yeah. actually like done the research and, you know, just popped into the store, the convenience store and see what's for sale and ask somebody who buys it? Nope. None of that. We're just going to well, listen I- to the, the lobbyists who are in the in the room right now telling us to ban it all. Well, and it's um, it, it's one of the. I mean, I've I've seen this happen with cannabis in real time. Um, when we were in Luxembourg chatting with health officials and educating them that there were non-combustible forms of cannabis, edibles, beverages, oils, vapes, they had no the the uh, the one individual I'm thinking of just didn't understand at the time that there were other ways to consume cannabis products beyond smoking it. We thought um, it was just a flower. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so it's like, well, how are you making policy on this if you don't have any understanding of the space? And it's, I mean, not good. Not good. All right. Now you remind me of another article I wanted to talk about. <clears throat> and this yeah. is... um. This is one of the individuals who I very much admire, and um, he has a kind of a great connection with me, mostly because he is a former Austrian who moved to Canada and then oh, came back the to Austria. We're talking oh, about okay. Frank Stonach. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw this piece. This is in National Post. Uh, Canada needs a democratic revolution. He essentially argues yes, for like an elders council. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For citizen representatives. I thought this was fascinating and interesting. Uh, some context. Uh, obviously, his daughter, big in uh, Canadian politics, but Stronach came back to Austria, started his own sort of center-right anti-Euro party, which got very popular for a bit, and that by now they've kind of faded. But, you know, he's back in Canada and now saying that we need uh, some kind of elders council. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I, it's anybody I, over 50 would be on this council. So it's just run by 50 year olds. But you know, that's not how it's going to work. It'll be like in the US where it'll be everyone's 78. Yeah, but isn't that kind of politics today anyway? 
Like, <laughs> well, Canada, no. I think I think Canada's pretty good with that because the I think the parliamentary system keeps people fresh. Oh yeah, in in the House of Parliament, yes, but not in the Senate. I I, I don't know what the average age of the Canadian senator is, but it's got to be north of sixty. So it's like, are are they the elder council? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know where uh, this comes from. Is I don't know if like he he was trying to write to people and like was talking to a dumb MP and, or something. Something yeah. must have happened to cause this because like um, I think he's very very similar to um, Conrad Black in that he's sort of an elder wiser person who's he's more of a businessman, whereas you know Conrad is more of a historian. I don't know. I just found this a bit strange. I, Citizen yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. It kind of came out of nowhere, right? Because there was like no <laughs> conversation. It wasn't like there was nothing in the news about it until he said it. And it's like, this is a guy who's sitting at? on his deck of his yacht. He's like yeah. in the bay there in Toronto or something. And he's like, you know um, what we need? We need a lot more people like us making the decisions in Canada instead of Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if we can't beat him in an election, then uh, we just need an elders council to write this ship. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, sir. Have you looked down south? Have you looked at the U.S. Senate? Have you seen them question TikTok and any, you know, tech firm? I mean, <laughs> so does it get into my Wi-Fi or it's like, goodness, guys. Oh, well. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening with testimony. We'll have to catch up on that next week. But I'm uh, I'm excited that we had a, a good program today, David. We had a great interview with Joseph McKenney. Talked about some uh, Bitcoin Web3 jurisdiction stuff. Uh, great things in Canada. I'd love to talk about the censorship bill. Uh, we'll have to probably do that next week because there's been a lot of shenanigans uh, right there in the House of Commons in Canada that we, we've been covering. And I know, David, you had a great press release on that. Uh, we definitely got to cover that next week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lots to uh, lots to dig into because yeah, we we need like a three hour long form <laughs> Joe for Rogan that, podcast. For, yeah, for that, and we'll get some some uh, interviews here going. Um, you know, thankfully a lot of a lot of the legislative stuff will be wrapping up uh, hopefully, so people can kind of chill out and do interviews. But love to get more people on, discuss some of the issues yeah. of the day, everything that's happening with technology inflation oh yeah inflation is still here <laughs> uh crazy stuff there so i look forward to it and uh, look forward to talking to you david so i uh, wish everybody a great uh, rest of the weekend thank you for listening on saga 960 a.m and coastal carolina network uh david i'll chat with you next week until next week <laughs>